When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. first time i'm sure it's not but i believe this is one of the few times let's put it that way that every single game on the nfl slate is really interesting there's never been a time where a team like the lions takes on tampa bay and everybody gives a rat's ass but i asked my man nick what game are you most interested in he said the lions i said why because dan campbell jared Goff. you know what i mean it's awesome and this might be could be. It is the greatest sports weekend of the year coming up, and you're going to get it started right now. As does Don't At Me. <music> Ladies and gentlemen, good morning this morning. You know, I said it earlier, and, and I mean it. You look at the slate of games. You just look at them, and you go, no. Nah. No, I mean, Houston? No, uninteresting. No, uh uh-uh. Tampa Bay and Detroit? I really wouldn't watch that. Green Bay hasn't been any good since whenever. No, I'm not watching it. Well, then you really look at the slate of games and you say, oh, man, this is unbelievable. Give me more Detroit. Give me more Detroit Lions. It does not happen this way. And the other thing is these games, the spreads are pretty good. Like you're talking about nine and a half is what I saw this morning for Houston. Nine and a half is what I saw this morning, San Francisco and Green Bay. Green Bay's interesting because Jordan Love is interesting. Green Bay's interesting because people are like, oh, it's a capesta. I got another quarterback out of Green Bay that's going to be a superstar? Are you kidding me? Are you nuts? What are we talking about here? I can't wait, and we're going to get into it all day. Chris Felica is going to join us. Joe Kinsey is going to join us, three-time Super Bowl champ. Nate Eber is going to join us. But, man, did we have a dust-up. Hey, we had a big, 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 big-time dust-up in the world of USFC. Now, there's a guy named Sean Copeland. Strickland. Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland's out of his damn mind, and I am here for all of it. Let's hear from Sean Strickland. Uh, we've got a pretty supportive gay and lesbian yeah. community in this city. I did want to ask you about something you wrote a couple of years ago. You said, if I had a gay son, I would think I'd... Oh, well, look, another, another, I'm saying to you, the swamp, you guys, the swamp. You become a champion, you become a star, and, and someone says... Let me ask you something. Are you, are you, are you gay? No, are you, are you, let me know, are you gay? Can I hear, can I get an answer? Well, no, I'm asking, I'm, this is the part of the, are you, are you a gay man? I'm an ally of the community. Okay. If you had a son, then he was like, you know, you had a son, he was gay. You'd be like, oh, man, you don't, you don't want a grandkid? No problem with it. Oh, man. Well, you, dude, you're a weak <laughs> man, dude. You're like, you're part of the problem. You elected Justin Trudeau. Like, would you when he sees the bank accounts, like, you're just pathetic. And, and the, fact that, the fact that you have no backbone and, and has he shut down your country and seized bank accounts, you ask me some stupid like that, go move the fuck. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't 
know why you got to go there. Now, look, my bigger problem is why do we got to go there in press conferences with athletes? Why do we got to go to, hey, you know, this, that? No, why? I mean, I, so I, I don't care. I don't get my morality. If Strickland's really good, then I want to see him fight, period. I don't give a damn about a text from 20 years ago, but I also don't think a guy's a weak guy for asking a question about the gay community. I don't think, I, I don't think, I think both are stupid here, but it gets even dumber. It gets even dumber because, well, of course, Dan Lebetard, the defender of all. Dan Lebetard is not only, he not only defends he and his crew when they're personally offended, which is every day of every, every week of every month of every year, but they get offended for others. Mike Ryan Roots is his producer, and Mike has gotten really important. Mike's really an important guy. Let's hear Let's hear from the producer of the Dan Lebetard show about this. I asked Jimmy Pitaro, what are you, what gonads are you going to show me in this instance? Because that pay-per-view is on ESPN plus that is on ESPN plus. And I know Disney is an inclusive company. I worked for it. You, you say nothing. You know what? You were right, Dan. I'll walk it back into the segment. I have to, to, to change my mind on something. I'm glad you made that uh, made us play that video, because while the UFC isn't going to do anything about it, I would challenge ESPN to make a public statement on this, because that kind of hate is going over their airways. The Walt Disney Company. What like, what? Are you a chicken <laughs> that you allow this with impunity, regularly? But it's never been this vile. The guy's wearing a T-shirt that says. Women belong in the kitchen, a gun in every hand. Disney's a family company. Hell, Disney's a company. Take family out of it. So the producer of the Dan Levitard show challenges Disney. Yeah, good for you, man. Go challenge him. Go over there and you, you put out your nice little challenge. You go ahead and do that. I challenge Disney. Why would anybody give a rat's ass about the producer or the star or any of it of any show? Here's what Disney and people use the family company when you work at Disney against you when you do something. Well, you know, we're a family company. And of course, they use it now against you. But here's the deal. Disney wants to do one thing and one thing only with the UFC. They want to do one thing with Strickland. You know what that is? Sell tickets. That's it. Sell tickets. Sell me some tickets. Give me asses in seats in houses that have bought our pay-per-view. See that bar over there? Charge them an exorbitant amount of money. Charge them zillions. Charge them all you want and fill that place up and get us more money. That is what Disney is. Now, should there be guardrails? Of course there should be guardrails. There should be guardrails on all of it. There should be guardrails on L. Duncan jumping into the middle of a live basketball game to lie about a bill not called Don't Say Gay, but she lied about it saying there should be guardrails on all of this stuff. But once you open this up, what are you going to do? Once you open this up, and people are talking, and, and, and you're going to let Black Lives Matter dominate your thing, and you're going to you're gonna let everything else dominate your thing, guess what? You're going to get some stuff you don't like. And I challenged Dan Lebetard, and I challenged his crew 
to stop whining about every goddamn thing they don't like. Look, what that guy Strickland said is idiotic. But I challenge you to quit whining about every damn thing you don't like. Anything you don't like. Oh, I challenge Disney. Look, you're a blimp. You're a pimple on the ass of Disney. You challenge nobody. Just stop it. And this Strickland guy, I will agree with this. This Strickland guy, what the hell are you even talking about? What, what, what are you? What are you even talking about? I've been doing this show for 100 years, and I forget to put my mic on. It's really kind of cute if we weren't so stupid. But anyway, like, what, what are you even getting yourself involved in this kind of stupidity? Where's your brain at? Has it been punched too much? But get tired of all these guys. You don't say what I like. You must be removed. Shut up. Seriously, just shut up. Uh, we got a bit of a, what we call a, uh, a tete de tete. I don't know why I did this, did this. I don't know why. And it involves Jay Gruden, the former coach of the Washington Commanders, and it involves RG3, the former quarterback of the Washington Commanders. Uh, Jay Gruden for, put out a tweet a little bit ago. This is like after... Oh, I forget when it was. It was after Sunday's game, basically saying, hey, look, if I ever put a quarterback in a position to get beat up uh, like this, then, you know, let me know. And everybody said, well, you put RG3 in that position. RG3, of course, is responding. And Jay Gruden just simply said this. Just simply said this right here. He said, look, I don't know what to tell you. You weren't good enough. If you remember, Kirk Cousins was drafted in the same draft. Andrew Luck went one. RG3 went two. Kirk Cousins was in the same draft by the same team that drafted Cousins. But here's what Gruden said. Gruden said you weren't good enough. Kirk was better. Cleveland didn't want you. Baltimore didn't either. Quit blaming me. Uh, RG3 responded with a video. Here's RG3's video. I love this stuff. I love it. So if Jay Gruden really wants to talk, I'm not going to cuss the man out. I'm not going to call him outside. I don't have any audio. But what I am going to do is tell you guys the truth. And the truth of the matter is there is a moment in D.C. that is vividly remembered. Jay Gruden went to a press conference and he undressed me at that press conference in a way that a coach should never undress his starting quarterback. It was after a game and I said in the press conference that the best players in the NFL have the guys around them play at an extremely high level. No one is out there doing it on their own. Now the the media pundits and everyone took that and said RG3 threw his teammates under the bus. And I had to eat that for a long time because Jay didn't back me in the media the next day. He doubled down on it uh, and and actually picked me apart in the media. But what people don't know is that the only reason I went to that press conference and said what I said to challenge my teammates through that press conference was because Jay Gruden asked me to do that. What hurt me about that was the fact that after I did that in the press conference, not only did Jay Gruden not have my back, but he actually burned me with it. He came out the next day and burned me in the media. He came out the next day in a meeting in our team meeting room and burned me in front of my own teammates. Took accountability for what I said. He was taken out of, con- taken out of context and apologized to my teammates in the front of that team meeting. Now, Jay, knowing that he had asked me to do that and still went to the media and tore me down to the media, even in that room, it's the fact that he has zero self-awareness and zero integrity 
Because even though he asked me to do something, he didn't have the balls to have my back. I'm sorry, man. I just laugh at this stuff. I do. I just laugh at it. Ah, he's a victim. Can you imagine? The coach went to a press conference and undressed me the way a coach never should. Who the hell is this guy to say how a coach should or shouldn't undress a bad starting quarterback? Maybe the coach had reasons, too. Yeah, I don't know about all that. I went to a press conference and did something, blah, 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 blah. He undressed me in front of my teammates. When exactly are you – you're seeing why RG3 never made it. I mean, he made it. RG3 was the first guy that I saw that got a bunch of endorsements without having to do anything. You know, Andrew Luck's family watched RG3 and said, yeah, we're doing it the opposite. Griffin was doing Subway commercials. Griffin was doing all kind of different commercials. Andrew Luck, Oliver Luck, and them said, no, we're going to do it the Manning way. We're going to play football. We're going to concentrate on our football brand. Griffin wasn't that guy. So now I ask myself as a coach, well, when is it okay to, quote, dress down RG3? Uh, You can't do it in a press conference. You can't do it in a team meeting room. When can you do it? I guess it's only in private. But how many times have you guys seen this? How many times have you seen a quarterback say or a coach say, I can treat Tom Brady like I treat everybody else and it makes our team better because they know the team that I am only about winning and I don't care who you are. If you get in the way of winning, I'm going to come at you. But this guy, you can clearly see, was evaluating everything. He was evaluating what was going on. When can you undress the quarterback? I guarantee you at some point, and boy, is that a true shirt right there, nobody cares. Nobody gives a rat's ass. Now, I'm sure the homies will be like, yeah, RG, you right, man, the white devil, all that kind of stuff, but that's all crap. You're the quarterback. You're the face of the franchise. You're getting paid all this cash, moolah, whatever you want to call it. All this money goes to you. And a coach can't say nothing to you? It ain't like you're walking in and you're Bart Starr. It's not like you're walking in and and let's take Lamar Jackson. You You know, Lamar Jackson had won a Super Bowl, but he's been MVP. It's not like you've walked in and you're Lamar Jackson. Certainly not like you walked in and you're Tom Brady. Nothing like that. So when are you supposed to? When are you supposed to be able to dress down RG3? He undressed me in a press conference. He burned me in front of the team. When are you supposed to? I guess maybe the answer is you're not supposed to. See, what have people always said about Tom Brady and Michael Jordan? I'll just use those two. They want to be coached. You know, there's all kind of pictures, that, if you look at the Internet, of Michael Jordan in college looking at Dean Smith. You know, really looking at him when Dean Smith, Michael Jordan's college coach, was giving him instruction. Or really looking at Phil Jackson. And the word on the street is, at least this has been historically the word on the street, and I've gotten this confirmed for numerous people, including coaches and players that were on the Bulls team. Michael Jordan loved to be coached, and Phil Jackson loved to come at Michael Jordan. But you're not allowed to with RG3? You're not allowed to with this character? you got to be kidding me. Why? Why? Then why have a coach? Let RG3 coach the team. Hell, back in the day, the Brooklyn Nets, between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, said, hey, wait a second, we don't need a coach. Who needs a coach? We don't need a coach. How'd that work out? 
You need a coach that's not going to be afraid of ripping your ass. And you need players that aren't going to be so chicken shit that they get all upset. Well, you can't rip me in a press conference. Well, you rip me in front of the team. Well, you rip me here. Shit, what? What? When? Where? Where are we all supposed to? We're supposed to get in like Now, RG3, let me, tell, let me ask you. You haven't been very good. Yeah, you don't seem to be really, you know, you, you got commercials. I mean, when are we allowed to try to get you better, RG3? When, when are we allowed? Let me know. Let me know. We'll take it to committee. We'll give you the wording first. We'll make sure you're okay with it because we know you get sad. All you got to do is listen to that thing, and we'll play it again later on. All you got to do is listen to that thing and compare it with the greats. When you are a freak athlete, when you are number one, number two pick in the NFL draft, then you, your career moving down the line where Griffin is now, should be compared to the greats. So you compare it to the greats on the field with the numbers. You compare it to the greats on the field with the championships. Then you compare it, why didn't they make it? Why didn't RG3 have the career that he should have? What was the situation there? Well, you can hear it right there. I mean, he's whining about his coach years ago. He's never said his coach did anything other than rip him. Okay. I mean, I, you know, one of the things that you get in coaches, coach, Man, you're always negative. All right. I used to tell players, look, count them anytime. I used to have a manager go, all right, today, today. Count just this kid right over here. Count how many times I'm negative versus how many times I'd be positive. And I would go overly positive. And I would ask the kid after practice, man, was I too tough on you? Man, coach, you're always negative. I go, here, come here, Jimmy. So Jimmy would bring over the notes. How many positive? 162 comments. How many negative? 10. And the guy would look at me. Of course, Jimmy was lying. I was lying. Everybody was lying. But eventually, he understood what we all understand. We hear negativity far more than we hear positivity. We just do. But in Griffin's case, he couldn't handle it. And that's too bad. Because by all accounts, Griffin is a smart kid. By all accounts, Griffin was a freak athlete, talented, you name it, could do it all kind of a dude. But once he got where... To quote uh, Gerard Mayo, the spot got hot, yo. Uh, he couldn't handle the heat. Now he's a mouth. Now he's got all the answers, of course. And ESPN will uh, promote him because, well, frankly, you, who are you going to side with? You're going to side with the young African-American quarterback who's a whiner, or you're going to side with the older uh, coach that nobody liked at the end whose brother was a star at ESPN, but ESPN ended up not liking him. I mean, who are you going to hang with? It's easy, simple. No brain. But boy, oh boy, if you're ever wondering, if you're ever wondering why RG3's uh, career just went away, that video right there told the story, told it in bold letters. Hey, he's a victim. Aren't we all victims? We're victims. Golly gee, we're just victims. Um, Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy is going to return for a fifth season, and I'm good with it. Like, people are all mad. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I get it. All right, fine. You know, you can't argue with that. The dude wins 12 games a year. You know, people always say this. They always say these things, and they're going to start saying it in college football, too. You know, the tournament's a crapshoot. You know. 
you have a great regular season in the tournament because it comes down to one game, you know, you just never know. Well, maybe, yeah, but people that say that make it sound like it's okay to lose in the tournament. They make it sound like, you know, what you're really trying to do is have a great regular season, and this is what you're doing as a coach. You have a great regular season, it puts you in a better seed, which in theory uh, smooths over the path to go get work done in the tournament, whether it's the NCAA tournament, the women's tournament, the men's tournament, the NFL playoffs, all a tournament. So that's what you, but as soon as you lose, man, you're a horse bleep coach that can't to, coach blind turkeys and take a dump. You stink, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, wow, no kidding. All right. Huh. Interesting. Soon as you lose, doesn't matter what you did before that. I mean, if McCarthy was like, you know, 10 and 7 every year, but this dude's been pretty good. And who are you really going to get? Like, and, and you got to look at it a bit historically. I mean, Jimmy Johnson got it done back in the day when I would bet money on this. I would bet you, and you're never going to hear this anywhere. Jerry Jones did not know what he did not know. And when you don't know what you didn't know, you make crazy, whacked-out trades. You do things that are a little bit bolder because you don't understand that if it doesn't work out, you're going to get your ass ripped. So he goes out and makes that crazy Herschel Walker trade. He goes out and wins the championship because Jimmy Johnson, well, was a great coach, championship coach, and Jerry Jones hadn't yet become Jerry Jones. He was kind of the new kid on the block. He was kind of getting it done. Well, what has transpired since for the Dallas Cowboys? I'm, just, I'm not going to go through every coach, but I'll give you a couple. One, Bill Parcells, basically the Belichick 20 years, past, 20 years down the road. Basically, you know, Hall of Fame coach, won Super Bowls, everybody loves them, blah, 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 blah. All right? That's one side of it. The other side of it is freaking Jason Garrett, the Aaron Parrott. Played for us. He's our golden boy. Came up through our ranks as an assistant. We, he's over there on the sideline, and the head coach would be there, and they'd show Jason Garrett, and he's going to be the next guy. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. You know, they've, and they've tried everything in between. They have. They've recycled. They've gone younger. They brought in crazy Italian guy. It was self-described crazy Italian guy to coach. Brought in a lot of different people. Hadn't worked. Hadn't worked any better than it's worked with Mike McCarthy. So the idea is you might as well stay where you're at. But McCarthy, McCarthy, uh, he should shut up. McCarthy is returning. He's begging fans to buy into us claiming the head coach has unbelievable faith in their team's quarterback. That's what I would do if I were McCarthy. Here's a little Mike McCarthy. Why should fans buy back in to use the head coach of his team? Yeah, because I, I believe that uh, the, the direction, you know, the leadership, um, everything is in place. And um, I'm not very comfortable talking about myself, but I came here to win a championship. I didn't come here to get another contract or uh, anything other than that. Um, I came to Dallas to win the World Championship, and that's why I'm standing here and uh, buy into us. Yeah, I don't think that's so egregious. People are making that out to be such a big deal. I don't know. Why is that so, you know, buy into us? I'll say this about the Cowboys fan. They don't need to be told to buy into nothing. 
because they've been buying into stuff for a long, 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 long time. I will never forget, I said this before, I'll say it again, I show up, I'm hustling to my seats, and they're playing the Cowboys, the Colts are, first down, I didn't really, you know, you're kind of getting there, and kickoff had already happened, and a first down happens, and it sounded really loud, like, (sighs) I'm like, all right, and I look, Cowboys had the ball and got the first down. In Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, damn. (laughs) Whoa. So I don't know that Mike McCarthy or Slapdick Johnny or anybody else needs to tell Cowboy fans to hang in there with us. They're pretty well hung in there for years and years and years. Uh, McCarthy is also saying he knows how to win championships. Let's hear from him. Um. My message would be this: uh, we, we we have established a, a you know a championship program. It's just not the world championship yet. Uh, we know how to win. Uh, we know how to train to win. We have the we have the right people, um, but we have not crossed the threshold winning playoff games. And um, and it's extremely disappointing to be sitting here talking about it. Um, but you know, I, I know how to win, and and uh, we will get over that threshold. Yeah, I have total confidence, in, and and that's why I'm standing here today. And then. You know, but here's the question. What is the threshold? I'm always fascinated by that. Like, you know, what's good enough? Would would people have questioned Jerry Jones on the job status of Mike McCarthy if, if they had won a playoff game? If they had won. Or would they be questioning McCarthy if they'd played better? Because they didn't play very good. I mean, they played horrendously. They got their ass kicked. So what is the threshold? That's always interesting to me. Thresholds come in various stages. When you get a job like the Cowboys, the threshold is never. I don't care if it's in your first year and you're making a comeback on the franchise and you're rebooting the thing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It is never to lose in the first round of the playoffs. Certainly, you got to make the playoffs. Like, I don't want to hear about how, well, we made the NCAA tournament and we made the play. No, no, no. you got to do that in the Big D. But then what becomes the threshold? See, if they would have won in the playoffs the last couple of years, the threshold would be extended. The threshold would be NFC Championship game, maybe the Super Bowl. I don't know. Or is it already there right now? You know, for crazy Cowboy fans, it's all about the chip, man. It's all about the chip. Yeah? All right. It's all about the chip. But I wonder what's real. Like, If Mike McCarthy would have won, played this week, and have lost, what would the – what? Would he be fired again? Is he just fat old white guy, so he's the easiest target in the world, which he is? I don't know the answer to that. But what – the threshold for everybody, the eliminator, the all-time elixir, is we're going to go ahead and win the Super Bowl. But other than that, I honestly, I, I don't know. I really and truly do not know. Maybe you do. I don't. Hey, uh, Matt Stafford is pretty good. Matt Stafford calls out a player after Tyler Higby got himself banged up. Tyler Higby on a crossing route, the cornerback, um, the cornerback hit him low, busted up his knee, 
And next thing you know, boom, he's out. Here's what a mic'd up, a mic'd up, man, this is what a, a, a mic'd up Matt Stafford had to say. Stafford flips his hips, wings one middle, bobbled, and cut down Tyler Higby in dangerous play. Stafford was not happy about the hey! celebration by Kirby hey! Joseph either. Hey, that's a good hit. That's a good hit. You dirtiest. You know it. You dirtiest. It's been on tape. I've seen it. Hey, it's been on tape. You're right. You're right. You're dirty as... I mean, there you go. Kirby Joseph. Nobody knows Kirby Joseph's name. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I've talked to numerous NFL and ex-NFL players, depending on the stage of my life, and they've always said the same thing. We know who's dirty. We know who the hell is dirty. We know who's dirty. We know who's filthy. We know who's scared. We know who's taking the game off. Uh, It doesn't matter. But this Kirby Joseph uh, absolutely is considered dirty. Once Stafford went to, I've seen it on tape. That's the hit. It was a low hit. I mean, just busted him up bad. And, you know, I don't know. Torres ACL. um, I I don't know what you do about it because this guy Higby is massive. You know, he he looks like Reacher from freaking Reacher. And then this guy, Joseph, is like a human bullet. You know what I mean? Like, corn nerdbacks are like human bullets, right? They're like, man, they're just... I don't know what you do about the play. I guess that's dirty. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, Joseph's got one job, and it's to get Jack Reacher down. I mean, that's the job. I hate to say it, but that's it. And that ain't easy. So good for, good for Matt Stafford. Really good. Now, I don't know if Matt Stafford was mic'd up. I don't know if Matt Stafford it got caught from the boom mic up top. But it ain't great. It ain't great for this guy, Kirby Joseph. But I will tell you this. Kirby Joseph is playing. Matt Stafford is not this weekend. Period. Period. Um, this is good news to me. This is good news to me. A California middle school student painted his face for the game. He painted his face for the game, and the school suspended him. Like, just, and this isn't that kid that Deadspin lost their mind on. This isn't that kid. This is a kid that decided, hey, look, man, I'm all excited. I'm going to paint my face for the game, and away we go. The... Can we show the kid? I think we can. Yeah, there you go. So this became blackface. That's right. This became blackface. Like, the only person allowed to get rid of blackface or to have blackface is Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel's the only guy. He's it. That's all. He is the guy. He's the only one. He's the guy. He's the man. But this little kid, as you can see, this is kind of the way... Is it not? Is it not? This is kind of the way that players put on their eye stuff. You know, you put it on, used to put it on, put it on, or they had a little tape right there. 
you know, for the glare. Well, now players, you see Tua makes a cross in there. Players put it down the side of their face. So this little kid just going to school, and he's saying, hey, hey, I'm not messing with you folks. I'm a fan. Let's go. What are we bothered about? Well, the school went nuts, kicked the kid out, decided that, you know what? We're not going to tolerate blackface. We're inclusive, blah, 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 blah. Okay. All right. Well, here's the deal. The family said, screw you. The family said, to hell with you. You know what? We are going to sue you. We're going to sue you. The kid's 13 years old. His name is Daniel, uh, Danny Amanduri. And the kid was putting this stuff on like he's getting ready to play. And all of a sudden, it's blackface. Uh, Blackface. What? The shit that, that we worry about is insanity to me. Seriously, it's insanity. Blackface, they argue, is a dark makeup worn to mimic the appearance of a black person or especially to mock or ridicule a black person. And I don't think that's what this kid's doing here. I would argue that this kid never, ever, ever had even in his mind the idea of mocking anything. He's a little kid with eye black. Look, you give a little kid eye black and it's on. You give some of these adults that play in the NFL eye black and it's on. It's just freaking on. It is. I'm sorry. But damn. Oh, I hope you sue them. I hope you sue them within an inch of your, their lives. I hope you sue them and make so much money that you and other parents start your own damn school. That's what I hope. It's ridiculous. I'll give you ridiculous, but ladies and gentlemen, we have a new favorite professional athlete, and his name is Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox is a stud defensive player for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a stud. He's been there 100 years. I swear to God, when I was a kid and I was watching Jaworski throw passes for the Eagles, Fletcher Cox was making tackles for the Eagles. I swear to God, that's what I was seeing then. All right. So, well, let's look at this exchange when a reporter tried to come in and ask Fletcher Cox what the Sam Hell's going on with Nick Sirianni. It's a good exchange. You know, gotten any wind on what's going to happen with Nick, and, and are you, you have confidence in, if, you, if you do come back, that um, confidence in him if he's also the head coach. Like, any news about, what about Nick? Nick, I mean, there's obviously some speculation about whether he may be fired or not. Um, huh? Yeah. Come on, man. Not man, head football coach of this team, man. Come on, man. We ain't, we ain't there ain't even no discussion about okay, that. Yeah, okay, you don't think it's going to like, happen? Like, I don't, I don't got nothing to say about that, man. You're a clown, bro. Get out of my face, bro. You're a clown, bro. See, that's how you handle. Because guys come into locker rooms and they have a microphone, it doesn't mean they're able to insult uh, insult everybody in that locker room with their little D-bag questions. It, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is you can ask the question, certainly within your rights to do so. I'm on the media side of things. I get it, even though I'm an entertainer. But don't get mad 
when a guy like Fletcher Cox, who's been in the league 162 years and has seen what happens to both players and coaches, both good and bad, when the media, particularly in a town like Philadelphia, gets it percolating. Let's get it percolating while you're waiting. Whatever, okay? I'm sorry. I break into song because it's one of my favorite songs. But anyway, so it gets percolating. Cox knows it's percolating. Last thing in hell he wants to do is involve himself. They just got their ass beat. And here comes some sniveling little pizza stained shirt wearing media twerp asking about his head coach in such a dipstick way that Cox knows all he, want, all he is going to try to get Cox to do is to fall in a trap, get him a quote that he can use to go after the coach. I mean, you know these things when you're a player or a coach. You know this is what's going down. But good for Fox. Hey, can we play that again? Cox, I mean, good for Cox. Can we play that again? Good for Cox. You know, got many wind on what's going to happen with Mike and, and are, you have confidence in, if, you, if you do come back that confidence in him if he's also the head coach. Like any news about, what about Nick? Nick, I mean, there's obviously some speculation about whether he may be fired or not. Um, huh? Yeah. Come on, man. No, man, he head football coach of this team, man. Come on, man. We ain't, we ain't, there ain't even no discussion about okay. that. Okay, you don't think it's going to happen? Like, I, I, don't, I don't got nothing to say about that, man. You're a clown, bro. Get out of my face, bro. Good <laughs> for him. I mean, there are times I'll tell you that, that players are being idiots, but this ain't one of those times. You're a clown, man. Get out of my face. All right, we got a monster for you. Nate Eber is one of the most amazing American human beings alive. Just went to Ohio State, rugby player. Next thing you know, he's the most valuable player. Next thing you know, he's on three Super Bowl champions. Played for with the New England Patriots. So he and Bill Belichick have a close relationship. He's a former Ohio State Buckeye. Belichick out. I wanted somebody that could give a real feel, a real feel of what's going on there. And there's nobody better than Nate. We'll be back. Nate Ebert joins us. The Bear, baby. That's right. Chris Felica. This is a monster weekend. This is like, holy hell. I can't wait. Indiana plays tonight. That's going to start my weekend off. They play at Wisconsin, where I think Indiana in the history of Indiana basketball has never won at the Kohl Center or only won once at the Kohl Center. I don't know. I don't know. But damn, we got foots. We got big foots. And then we got Joe Kinsey with screen caps. So we got hot women. That's right. We got probably, well, you're going to meet a man right now that's going to make you feel bad about yourself. You're going to meet Jack Reacher is who you're going to meet right now. Three-time Super Bowl champ. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, I told you the real life. Jack Reacher, Nate Ebert, <laughs> Nate Ebner, not only went to Ohio State, which is an honor in itself to go there in school, a couple years in, he decides, I'm a rugby player, but I'm going to play football. Next thing you know, he wins awards. Next thing you know, he's in the NFL. Next thing you know, he wins three Super Bowls. Next thing you know, he's in the Olympics and he's playing rugby in the Olympics. Nate, thanks for coming on. The news of Belichick stepping down, obviously you have a great connection with him with all the winning you guys did. Uh, were you surprised? And do you think that it was actually a mutual parting of the ways as they couched it? 
Uh, yeah, I do think it was um, mutual. I mean, look, at, at some point, all good things come to an end, right? And um, I wasn't really surprised. Um, had had Bill stayed and um, Mr. Kraft wanted him to stay and, and work out the turmoil they've had the last couple of years, I wouldn't have been surprised either. Um, you know, I think just it seemed to be the right time for, for both sides. And I think uh, obviously it's clearly a restructuring going on in New England. And, you know, Bill is, isn't the, you know, the youngest coach out there. And I know he's trying to get some wins under his belt. And I know uh, the last couple of seasons haven't been up to the standard that Mr. Kraft would like. So um, it was always going to happen at some point, right? I mean, he wasn't going to coach there for the rest of his life. Um, you know, maybe he was, but uh, I'm not surprised. I think uh, it probably was pretty mutual. And um, yeah, again, I, I'm, I'm not shocked. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Bill going forward. You know, Nate, I'm going to piggyback on something you said. Um, I played for a guy, Bobby Knight, at Indiana that when I coached with him after, absolutely knew how many wins he needed to be the all-time winningest coach in NCAA basketball history. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it was the driving force of his coaching, but he knew. He's a human being. He, he, he knew. It was a record that I think, well, I know it was very important to him. You know, I've heard people say what you just said. You know, he wants to get some more wins. He, do you think that record is a driving force? And if that record wasn't out there as a carrot, do you think that uh, he would step down? Or do you think that doesn't factor in? You know, I can't speak for Bill and how he feels about it specifically. Um, I think for for him to have done this as long as he has and to be – you know, within a, a couple, I guess a little more than a couple, but a season or two worth of wins uh, to be the greatest coach of all time. Um, not necessarily greatest, but most wins of all time. Uh, how, how you couldn't consider that in finding motivation to continue to coach. I mean, you're always looking for more motivation to better yourself and to to stay in the grind. It's a grind to to do to do it in the NFL and to do it as long as Bill's done it at the level that he's done it. So you're always looking for small pieces of uh, motivation everywhere you look. But that that's definitely something that's recognized um, for sure. Whether you know he finds any intrinsic value in that to, to motivate him. I can't, I can't speak for him, but I, I, I know it's there. I know he's close and, and who wouldn't try to find some motivation to, to get a season or two more wins to, to be the winningest coach of all time in one of the most competitive sports in the world. I mean, I think you'd be a fool <laughs> yeah. to say you're not interested in that. Yeah, I mean, you got the most Super Bowls and you get the most wins. I don't know about – well, I know. I'm just reading up on you. The most important thing, at least when I played, was I didn't give a damn how many points I scored. Let's get a win. I mean, right. and, you know, and you combine the two things, right? You combine Super Bowl, which is championships, and you combine regular season. I, in my world, is the greatest coach ever. Do you know Gerard Mayo? What are your thoughts on him being elevated to head coach? I know Gerard very well. Gerard Mayo is my guy. Um. I'm extremely happy for him. Um, I think he's extremely capable. Um, not shocked at all by that decision. I mean, Gerard is loved by that organization. Uh, obviously, a first-round draft pick there. Uh, had a successful career there. 
as a player went into coaching fairly soon after after he retired uh he's he's been a patriot through and through um not only in his career but the way he carries himself um you know the type of person he is definitely fits that that character mold that you you typically see in new england and i will say uh i played with a lot of players over my you know 10 years in the nfl and even in ohio state and gerard is probably probably the most impressive human being from an intellectual standpoint um, of any player that I ever played with. And I think that's saying a lot. I play with a lot of players. Um, Gerard, Gerard left an impression on me with, with how he carried himself, uh, not only throughout football and his intelligence there, but just um, the well-rounded human being that he is and, and how he's so multifaceted in so many different areas. Uh, I think he'll be extremely successful. I think he's going to be able to get guys to play for him. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they got to start building the right team right now. And uh, that might take, it might not happen overnight, you know, so we'll see, but I wish him all the best of luck. And, and I think he's very well suited for the job and not surprised at all that he got hired. I know new England loves him and Mr. Kraft and um, he's done a great job and everything he's, he's, you know, been put up against. So I'm not surprised at all. You know, one of the things they always say, you know, you don't want to be the guy following the guy, you know, like, but it seems to me, yeah. first off, if they're going to offer you the New England Patriots job, you got to take the New England Patriots job. And second, you got to have a hell of a lot of confidence in yourself and your ability to do the job to step in after Belichick. And I don't know about, I, I don't know Mayo. I mean, I remember him as a good player, great player. But it seems like he has that kind of inner toughness that being the guy to follow the greatest coach of all time, it's not really going to bother him. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if you're in that, that game, that sport, um, whether it be a player or a coach, you know, you're there to be a head coach. Gerard wanted to be a head coach. It wasn't like it's not one of those things you look around at the league and see like who was the coach before me and what's the best opportunity for me to not make a fool of myself. You know, you, you, you gotta let some of those things don't matter. And, and yeah, yeah. Bill was ahead of him um, obviously, but he learned a lot from Bill. I think uh, it's pretty cool actually that, you know, Bill or Mayo would get to follow the likes of Bill after being drafted by him and playing under him and learning from him. So um, it should be, a rather smooth transition as far as the organization is concerned and how things uh, operate. Obviously, Mayo is that new blood. But, um, yeah, I think Gerard is extremely competitive. He wants to be a head coach. And, um, you know, you don't really spend your time worrying about who was before you or or, or any of that. It's, it's about getting down to business and um, starting to build that team and having success in that role that they put you in. And I know, like I said earlier, he's up to the task for sure. If I were Bill Belichick, uh, I would go to the team with the best quarterback. Now, I know that's simple. I know that's not what all encompasses a team. But I think, you know, I, I would believe that even he probably was surprised at the difference between Brady and the guys that he had at quarterback, whether it was Mac Jones or Stid, whoever it was, didn't matter. That's where I would go. Uh, Nate, I don't know about you. What, what, what do you think would be a criteria for, you know, Belichick, what would be a criteria for where he would want to go? I think that'd be a great place to start. I think uh, one mm -hmm. of the most obvious uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
components of, of, of a winning team is a good quarterback. I mean, look at our playoff picture right now. You've got the MVP potentially of the league, or I don't even know if we decided that, but like you got Lamar, you got um, all these great quarterbacks that the best in the league that we talk about all season long and look where they are at the end of the season. You know, it's not a coincidence. It's not, it's not a coincidence that they get paid what they get paid. Um, they have the biggest impact in the game. It's not a coincidence that the worst teams in the league have some of the worst quarterbacks. Um, yeah, I think that'd be a great place to start. He should go where there's a pretty good quarterback. And I think that that's it's proven success for him in the past with the Patriots as well. Having a decent quarterback can get you some wins. So, yeah, Dick, Dick Vermeil, when I was when I was at Indiana with Coach Knight, Dick Vermeil came in and he gave a talk. He had just won a Super Bowl and and he gave a talk to the team and he he said a, he said I got a saying. It's called "Don't complicate winning," and you know don't and winning including your life don't complicate your life you know you got a wife you got kids don't go have an affair why you complicate and so that's why that's kind of how i've always thought about the nfl you can complicate this stuff if you'd like and it is complicated there are a lot of but damn first and foremost jordan love all of a sudden's a pretty good quarterback nate and i think the green bay packers are doing all right with the dude at quarterback you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean i think uh, again like it's, it speaks for itself. The, the, the guys right now in, in the playoff picture at the end of this season are some of the best. I mean, I think CJ, obviously I'm biased, but um, I think CJ has a chance, obviously, to win Rookie of the Year. Um, he, he's killing it. And then if you watch that game, I mean, his, his touch was amazing. He, he, played, he played a great game against Cleveland and um, you know obviously Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes I mean you're talking about the best players in the NFL that win the most games so absolutely that position um, clearly can dictate the outcome of his season and um, I think Bill would be very smart to go to a place that had a, a decent guy uh, under center for sure. All right, you, you were in locker rooms. You were a 10-year vet of the NFL. You won three championships. So I got to ask you, I'm seeing, okay, Mayo comes in. He's replacing uh, Belichick. You got Mike McCarthy talked yesterday about getting over the hump. Let me ask you a question. It, it, for players in an NFL locker room, what, what's the hump? Like, what is, is going to be considered good enough for Gerard Mayo, what's going to be considered good enough for Mike McCarthy? What what is like the the mythical hump? What what's a good season? I don't think uh, in my ten years we ever talked about getting over any humps. Uh, you either get the job mm-hmm. done or you don't. You know, um, at the end of the day, you, you either you win the games or you don't, and it's. Uh, it comes back to how, how well prepared you are for those moments. And um, obviously what, when I was uh, playing, we, we were prepared and we took care of business uh, one game at a time. And as we got to that playoff picture, um, that, that focus got, got heightened. And, um, you know, that accountability for every player, you know, we all stepped up and answered that call. And we didn't make the moment bigger than it had to be, but we really understood exactly what was needed of us. And um, I think we all were locked in and on the same page as, as an entire group, uh, as an entire unit. So what, what makes Gerard, what's the bar for success? 
I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's, it's probably higher than four and 13. Um, right. you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think for me, Gerard's coming into a unique situation. He's stepping right into a team that he's already coached and uh, understands and, and, you know, they can start to develop those guys and they already have, but he's got to build off of that. I, I feel differently about other coaches who come into a brand new system um, kind of like when I was with Joe Judge and he came to New, New York and has to basically build this culture and you give the coach a year and a half or a year or whatever to have that success. I mean, Josh McDaniels, same thing happened to him. And it's like you just expect this turnaround. And, yeah, some coaches have some decent success, but realistically it's going to take a couple years. I mean, look at what Dan Campbell has done with the Lions. If you would have stopped him at a year, a year and a half, you'd have been right because they were terrible. But they, the Lions stuck with it. And look what Dan Campbell has been able to do with the, the team and the culture and the character that they have in that locker room. Um, I see so often you want, the, you want these results right now. And uh, that, that's usually the, the death of a, of a new coach is that they, you need that, that instant gratification. But to build something special, it doesn't happen like that. So when I think about Gerard, obviously I want him to have success, but it, it, it needs to be built organically and, in, and they need to figure it out over time. And it's, it's not going to come overnight. But, um, you know, they're, I, I think you've got to give any brand new coach and just looking at the history of it, at least two years to tell if they've had been successful or not. You start cutting them loose. It just you can't build the culture in that in that time frame. You just can't do it. So, um, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for Mr. Kraft. I can't speak for Gerard himself. But I, obviously they're going to want to win as much as they possibly can. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing. You, you, you know, like the Colts went from two and fourteen. Well, guess what? They drafted Andrew Luck and they won eleven games. You know, I mean, it, it's it's right. just it's it's it, it's stupid to me where we're at with coaching. You mentioned Dan Campbell. Um, Dan Campbell got a quarterback to keep the, that conversation going, but he also very quickly infused his personality. It seems like, I don't know Dan Campbell, but it seems like he infused his personality of toughness, of grit, of, you know, into his team. You know, so it's like, which came first? Goff being a better quarterback or Dan Campbell bringing that toughness thing is? I would argue both at the same time you can have as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Dan, Dan was there for over a season and a half before they had that, Last year, they had that, like, six-game win streak at the end of the season, right? Yeah. And that was where things really started to turn around. But if you cut Dan loose a year and a half into the whole thing, like all these other coaches, like Josh McDaniels or Joe Judge or all these coaches that get cut within under two years, you don't really get to see um, what they put together. For Dan to build that culture, it takes time to weed guys out. Yeah, they're, you know, they're still NFL right. players. They're going to sit there and they're going to grind and try to make it, but – you're going to you they can only fake it for so long. You know, your true colors get shown eventually and um you know that's what Dan has exposed in some guys and he's obviously exposed the right colors in some other guys and and has built that character around uh that team and um yeah, they have a quarterback too and I think that's 
really what New England was. It's not complicated to go back to what you said earlier. You got a you got a good quarterback and you got a group of gritty, tough dudes that are willing to put the team first. Like to summarize, that's pretty much what you're looking at. Um and I think Dan Campbell has done that. Now it again to go back to the point, you can't do that in a season. Guys can fake it for for a season, you know, with a new coach. Uh, it, it takes some time to weed that out. I remember being in New York with Joe as he was really trying to create this tough culture, blue-collar New York football team that, you know, was old-school Giants. And, you know, you just can't weed guys out that aren't really buying into that in six months. You know, you just can't do it. It takes longer. You got to put them through a couple off-season programs. You got to give them the freedom to go somewhere else and see how bad they really want to be there. I mean – um, you got to go go through some turmoil, and uh, obviously it's paid off for the for the Lions and sticking with uh, with Coach Campbell. Nate, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the convo. Yeah, that's a good time. That's a good talk, man. Uh, Nate Ibner, he played and won three. Super Bowl championships with Bill Parcells and the New England Patriots. I'm glad to hear what he said about Gerard Mayo because I always liked the guy, and I'm ho- I'm rooting for him. I mean, look, I, I I want I like when dynasties happen. Now this dynasty's over, so who's going to be the next one? Like I like the fact <clears throat> the fact <clears throat> excuse me that we are going to either root for because of greatness or root against hard. Patrick Mahomes, because how good they've been. Like, I like the the New York Yankees. I like the Yankees. I like the fact that the Yankees are a team back when they're any good that you're rooting for. The Mets don't do it for me. Mets, who cares? All right, we come back. It's the Bear. The Bear, baby. You know them. You love them. Big noon kickoff. All kind of different platforms on Fox. My man, Chris Felica, joins me next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Uh, The best you see on TV, but the best dude off air is my friend Chris Felica. We were just talking about old men and injuries, and, man, I can step up and talk about old men and injuries. Bear, I said this earlier, and I want your take on this. For a 1,000 years, there's always a game that in this weekend or last weekend that people go, yeah, I'm not that interested. And for a 1,000 years, other than a little bit of Tom Brady – that game would have been the Buccaneers and the Lions. But, Bear, I swear to God, every game in the NFL this weekend is, has big-time intrigue, does it not? Absolutely. Now, in Bucks lions I mean, the intrigue alone in that is that either Baker Mayfield or Jared Goff are going to be in the NFC Championship game, and you're going to have a ridiculous atmosphere at Ford Field for a team that hadn't won a playoff game in forever, and now they have a second home playoff game. And, and they can get to one step from the Super Bowl. But on this side, you got a Bucks team where everybody, oh, they won the, the, the shittiest division in football. They, uh, they really aren't that good. And they went out and absolutely uh, annihilated a, a dead team walking in Philadelphia on Monday night. And, and you've got a healthy Baker Mayfield now with those 
receivers who can catch the ball, and you saw that Lions defense give up a bunch of yards to Stafford and Nakua uh, in, in that game. So like, it, it's a really fascinating game, and I, and I think of all of the underdogs uh, this weekend, I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa was the team that emerged victorious. I, I wonder because that, that game in the regular season that they played, I think it was 20 to, 20 to 6 or something like that, 25-6. It was some weird score, but it was a 10-6 game late in the third quarter. And it wasn't like the Lions were capitalizing on Tampa's inability to score points. So, yeah, the, the old the old Bay of Pigs, the NFC Norris, as Chris Berman used to say, uh, Tampa and Detroit. Uh, you, you wouldn't have thought, you would have said before the year that either the Bucks or the Lions were going to be uh, in the NFC Championship game. I don't think you would have had too many takers, but that's what we're, that's what we're looking at right now. I'm fascinated. You know what? I, I'm kind of digging on Jordan Love, man. I I I, I like this whole. Uh, you're going to sit your ass for a few years, Aaron Rodgers, and play. You're going to Jordan Love, about three or four weeks to go in the season, I just happened to catch their game, and I said on this show, this dude is really good. And I want to see if he can continue. I want to see if C.J. Stroud can continue. This is a 20, 20-year-old or whatever the hell he is. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's so funny because I had this conversation with, with Gil Alexander and I on VSIN with the show that I do there, and that was his – excuse me. That was his point with Jordan Love that a lot of times with the Redskins going back in the day, like Joe Gibbs would have guys just kind of sit there and hold the clipboard for a few years. Yes. And in a lot of instances, that worked because you were able to just grow up. You got good practice reps. You saw the good habits that the veterans in front of you were making on the field. And it translated into a good career. And where Jordan Love began the year to where he is now, it's worked, and he and those receivers, Dobbs and then Aaron Jones, the running back, he's got a really good offensive line. Like, this is not a fluke Packers team at all. Now, historically, when you get to the playoffs, if you pull a big upset in the first round, second round, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament where last year, for yeah. example, Princeton pulled that upset in the first round, beat Arizona, and then everybody loved Princeton in the second round against Creighton, and Creighton wound up covering every single number, and you kind of get that dose of reality. This isn't where I don't think the Packers aren't the real deal. I think this is more where you had the 49ers who you didn't really have to play anybody the final week of the regular season. You didn't have to – you had the week off, obviously, last week. Trent Williams and McCaffrey and Purdy and Bosa and Warren, all those guys that had some nagging injuries, had some time to rest up. And I think this is going to be a situation where the 49ers are going to come out and kind of remind everybody that they are the best team uh, in the NFC. This is not a slight against the Packers thinking they're kind of fool's gold or anything because the future is absolutely bright there now. But I think in this spot, San Francisco is probably the uh, the play. But you, you're right about Stroud, too, because we talk about the moment maybe being too big for him. Certainly, I mean, certainly wasn't at Ohio State in the big games that he played, whether it was against Michigan no. or in the college football playoff against Georgia where he nearly single-handedly he and Marvin Harrison Jr. beat the Bulldogs the year they won the title in 2022. And the, the cold weather probably won't affect it because he's played in it uh, in Columbus all along. So it wouldn't surprise – of the two big dogs on Saturday, I think the Texans have a better chance of going to Baltimore and keeping that game really close or winning, pulling the upset, than uh, the Packers do going to San Francisco and doing the same. All right, I'm going to play gun to head with you, all right? Gun to head. Gun to head is a look. Gun to head, which one am I picking? Which gun to head's pretty, you know, final. Gun to head. Houston, uh, plus nine, 
or Baltimore or nine and a half. Houston plus nine and a half or Baltimore minus nine and a half. Gun to head. I'm, t- I'm taking the I'm taking Bob Houston plus the nine and a half because I think they have enough disruptors on that defensive line that, that can kind of make Lamar Jackson. The, the, the key is when you make him uncomfortable and he takes off, you need people on the back end to be able to run and pursue and make those tackles. And I think that's the case. And remember, too, Lamar in his, his playoff career has not played well. So I think there's a little bit of pressure on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. You're, you're the number one seed again. Remember, the Titans came in there off of a wild card upset win, beat them that great year that Lamar had, I think, in his MVP. Like, this is not this is not a uh, a pushover game for the Ravens at all. The weather is going to be, be iffy, so maybe that affects Lamar maybe more than it does the C.J. Stroud in Houston. So, yeah, going to head, which I wish I could right now because my head is killing me. Weather changes in the Northeast just <laughs> creating headaches and havoc. But enough about my personal health. But uh, yeah, give give me uh, give me Houston plus the nine and a half here. I'm going to put a hat on. I'm, I'm going to put my King's hat on as we uh, like get going here. King for it. Yeah. All right, gun to head. Over or under 43 and a half in the Houston-Baltimore game? I'm going to go over here j- just because I think we will get some broken plays, some some big plays. We, we see the, 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 the rapport Nico Collins and C.J. Stroud have, and then I mentioned what Lamar can do when he improvises. 43 seems a little bit low. I think that number's come down because of anticipation of cold weather and wind. As long as it's not too windy, you're going to see points, just like you did in Buffalo, Pittsburgh last week. I think people saw a cold, excuse me, snow, and that number came down to like 38 or whatever, and it went over very easily. I think sometimes it's a little bit of an overreaction when, when you hear about cold weather, and like that, that actually helps the offense when it's actually cold and you're able to move the ball. So. Yeah, I'll go over 43 in that game. Gun to head, Green Bay. Green Bay, minus, or plus nine and a half, or San Francisco minus nine and a half. Yeah, I'm laying the nine and a half with the Niners here. I, I think the 49ers are the best team in the NFC. Uh, I, I think the way they finished the regular season, like I said, being able to rest those guys, I think that's big here. I, I think hearing about uh, Green Bay and pulling and seeing them pull the upset – I think that gets them focused. Mike Shanahan, uh, come playoff time, at home is unbeatable. Um, You you saw them dominate the the Cowboys last year in a home playoff game, did great the year before in their home playoff games. I think he has a a pretty good good game plan. Remember, this is a Joe Barry defense in Green Bay. Yes, they played better the last couple weeks of the regular season, and uh, they got Dak Prescott to turn the ball over a couple times and probably should have turned it over couple more times last week. This is still a team that gave up, what, 30 points against the uh, the Carolina Panthers during the regular season, and this is the Carolina Panthers team that didn't score a point in the final two games of the season after that Packers game. So they still have some holes, and, and I think a, a fully healthy San Francisco offense with Purdy and McCaffrey uh, and Ayuk and Debo and Kittle and all the weapons that they have. I'm not only not only laying the 9.5 with San Francisco, I'm looking for a 49ers team total over somewhere around 29 or 30, and I'm going to go over that, too. I think I think the Niners score a bunch of points this week. So can I can I gun to head an assumption here? You never want to gun to head assumptions, but no. can I then, based on what you said, gun to head over 50 and a half would be your play on the over-under of that game? Yes. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can see yeah, this being yeah. like a 
like a, like a 34-20 type of game, something like that. Because I do think the Packers will get some points, whether they're chasing points late or, 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 or getting a couple of big plays like you saw. Dobbs have a massive game and some of the other receivers that they have as well. Yeah, it, it feels like a 34-20 yeah. type of game. Yeah, you never want to assume when you're gunned to heading, but, uh, you know, Correct. when you said you thought they were going to go get 30-some, you know. Uh, Tampa Bay plus six or Detroit minus six and a half. I got six and a half as the number that I got this morning. Six and a half Tampa Bay or six and a half giving from Detroit. And, and, and if you even want to hold it out and wait and see, you might be able to see a seven pop up at some point. And if you get really? seven, I'm absolutely – yeah, yeah. there was a seven at Circa yesterday, and I think it's gone now. But uh, I, I think there's a better chance this game goes to seven again than it does going back to uh, the six or so. But six and a half is probably where it will settle out. And I'm going to take Tampa Bay. I, I think this is a, a team where Todd Bowles, the defense – what do we see from – from the uh, the Rams defense last week against Jared Goff, you give him some looks, bring pressure from different spots, confuse him. He's capable of making some mistakes and some bad throws and looking uncomfortable. Now, he had a great game, like I said, in the regular season. He threw for like 340 in that meeting down in Tampa the, the first time this year in, in that win. But they didn't uh, generate very many points. If they can't finish drives in the red zone and they have to settle for field goals, and they keep Tampa in this game, this is a Tampa team that can match them at wide out. And, and a quarterback now with Mayfield being healthy and confident and playing free and loose. Uh, Tampa can score some points here, hang around this game. I'm, I'm taking uh, Tampa plus a six and a half here. If it were seven, would that mean you just double your bet? No, I don't, I don't think I double. I don't think I double my bet, but I'd feel. But you'd, you know, inc- you'd increase. A, a, another. Another quarter of a unit or a half a unit just to get that that key number of yeah. seven in case it lands on seven. Because the interesting thing now with, with with some of these head coaches, and I don't know where Todd Bowles falls in, in the in the analytics world, is like a lot of times you'll see teams if they're down fourteen, they'll go for two to cut it to try and cut it to six. So a lot of times you wind seeing games either land on eight or six more often than you do seven. So seven is still a t- traditional key number, but a lot of times they'll try to go to from 14 to to six to maybe just kicking the extra point or going for two again. So a lot of, there, there have been some instances this year where games have landed on eight because teams have gone for two to try and go from eight to six as opposed to just going 14 to seven and potentially sending the game to overtime. Over under 49, gun to head. That, 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 that feels like another over because I think – if you do look, like 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 I said, the the the, uh, the Bucks can bring pressure and trust those corners and, and bring one on one matchups on the outside. But if you don't get to Goff, uh, I think Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot can have a massive game. You're leaving him one on one with some people, and he could get some big plays. But 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 again, in, indoors here, it was funny because last week what we saw, we thought that game was going over. Oh, by a mile, it was what twenty-one seventeen, pretty early. And you figure yes. oh, this game's going to wind up thirty-eight, thirty-five, yes. and and the scoring just stops. So maybe you see a situation here where you don't want to go maybe full game over, but maybe you go first half over. I don't know what the total is there. I don't have it in front of me, but you, you see a similar thing where 
the two teams have their schemes, they have their game plans, uh, they pop some plays early on in the game, and then at halftime you get some adjustments and they're able to get some red zone stops, you're able to get some stops and maybe uh, get some turnovers and the scoring kind of slows down in the second half. But but I, I think that over again, th- th- this maybe could be headed towards one of those 38, 35, 38, 31 types of games because I, I think the conditions there and some of the matchups with, with the porous uh, past secondary that the Lions have, I, I think that, that can generate some points for Tampa and, and keep them around. And obviously the Lions can can break some big plays as well, not only through the air, but maybe either with the runs or the short passing game that they have with both Gibbs and Montgomery. I have a theory. I have a theory. Talk to me. Uh, it is always take Urban Meyer and the points. Uh, always. That He's always. Well. Saban, Yes. Saban is always take Urban Meyer, or always take Urban Meyer, always take Nick Saban and the points, and the Chiefs always take the Chiefs and the points. I'm wavering, though, gun to head. Do I take the three if I am sticking to my theory, or do I give the three in Buffalo? I absolutely hate this game from a, a betting standpoint <laughs> on the slide. I'm, I'm yes. with you as well, man. I, I'm, I'm wavering yes. every time. Every time I, I say that, like taking Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, uh, and, and the Chiefs, like yes. get, getting points, and, and I did last year in the Super Bowl, and it worked out. But it, it, it's like <laughs> this is not the typical Chiefs team that we're used to guys scoring points. This is like people need to get that uh, assumption and picture out of there. This is not like the forty-two thirty-six game that we had a couple of years ago in the playoffs between these two teams. This is a, a, a Kansas City team that Mahomes doesn't trust uh, MVS. He, I mean, Kadarius Tony can't catch the ball. Uh, like uh, Kelsey even had some drops last week. Like Rasheed Rice is like the only wide receiver that he can actually count on right now. But at the same time, if you got Pacheco and you're going against a weakened Bills uh, linebacking core, maybe that's enough to go on the road and pull the upset. But on the other side, you've got a Buffalo offense, which has kind of changed its dynamics now, running the ball with, with Murray and Cook and getting them the ball out of the backfield and using Josh Allen's legs more now. And maybe against a defense that's so fundamentally sound, the best play for Buffalo isn't Josh Allen uh, in, improv. And even they're short at wide receivers. So every time I, I, I convince myself on one side, uh, I'm thinking the other. <laughs> From what it's funny because Jeff Schwartz, my co-host on the podcast, is actually going to this game with a, with a, th- a friend of his, and and uh, he's a Chiefs guy, and every time I I think about like who do I want to pick in this game, it ultimately is I think going to come down to what you said. The Chiefs get if it's a full three now, I'll take Kansas City plus the three because I think there's a really good chance that this game does wind up landing on three. Um, would it surprise me if Buffalo treating this game like it's Super Bowl came out either like super tight, super energetic, uh, maybe they make a mistake and over-pursuing or falling for a play action uh, and they have a breakdown on the defensive side of the ball? Maybe. But, but I think that's the danger in this game, what Jeff was saying. Like everyone in Buffalo is treating this game like the Super Bowl and maybe they're putting a little too much pressure on themselves because it might be a situation where they finally have Kansas City in their home stadium, if they don't beat them this time, when is it going to happen? Right. <laughs> right. First playoff road game. 
Yeah, I know he played a neutral yeah. site Super Bowl or two. But, all right, so you're going Kansas City, 45 and a half. I feel that's Under. low, but maybe I feel it to be low. Uh, Chris, I don't know. Under, 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 under. And I hit on a under. Floor, like, yeah, under. under because, wow. Yeah, because I, I think, like, like I said, people are talking about this game. And like I said, I think they still have these preconceived notions that this is the Kansas City high-flying offense that can throw in the yes. ball over the place, throwing points. Buffalo with Allen and, and, and Diggs and all those other wide receivers. But the injuries, uh, I think, have really affected both offenses. Uh, if you look at the way they've won games down the stretch, it's been running the ball, long time-consuming drives, winning with defense. Uh, the, the, the caveat is, the Bills losing Terrell Bernard last week was a massive injury. So we'll see if that ultimately affects them. But Klein came in and played well. I mean, that, that was a big shock. A guy who wasn't even playing football uh, came in and, and made about 11 tackles or something like that. Had a great game. But but I, I do think if we watch the Chiefs all year, every week it seems like, oh, this is the week, this is the week Kansas City is going to break. Their offense is going to break out of this right now. And they, they, they just don't. They just don't have the personnel. We saw McCall Hardman struggling to find the ball last week when he was wide open twice on perfect throws. I, I think this is like a 2017 type of game. I, I feel much com- more confident that this is under 45 than I do taking either uh, the Bills or the Chiefs uh, plus or minus three. Man, that's that's the best you'll hear all weekend, people, right there from the Bear. Chris, hey, man, have a great weekend. Hope you feel better. Hope everything's going well. And thanks for coming on. Always enjoy it. Absolutely. Anytime. Look, well, I thought we were going to talk Harbaugh. Let's talk Harbaugh. Give it to yeah, me. I'm, Give I'm me what you think. Yes, up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They got. I got it. <laughs> I, I got in the notes here. Here, here's a hat. Hey, I got in the notes. Perfect, thank you. I know college football's better with Harbaugh in it. I know he's yes. okay. College football's better with Harbaugh, but is he going to be in it? No, no, I, I don't think so. No either. way, I, right? I think, no, 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 no chance. I, 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 I've said for months that I thought he was ultimately going to wind up in L.A. with the Chargers, and I'm, I'm, I'm that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But you're right. It, it's so much like. like College football is great with personalities and villains. Yes! Who is a bigger personality and villain right now than the national championship head coach who you hear about spying and stealing signs and and cheating? Like Those are the types of like people love to root against and hate those people. Look, I'm a Miami grad, so I know what it's about to be the enemy and the villain. And college <laughs> yes. football is great. When you had Catholics versus convicts and people hated Miami and hated 46 to three in the cotton bowl and Randall Hill shooting off the gun. So the sport is so much better when you have emotion involved in it and, and, and the hate of your rival is there's no greater emotion than that. But, but, but I, I think look, Bruce Feldman was on this early at the end of a, the season on Big New Kickoff, and, and he had even said, he goes, look, there, there are going to be penalties. There is going to be a suspension. So uh, he would be shocked if, if Harbaugh were back. And I think uh, the, the way the tea leaves, if you look at the, how the, the contract negotiation is going on, I, I, throwing around the word immunity, and like, well, what do you need immunity for if you're not, if you're not guilty of anything? So it's like, <laughs> look, he's a great, he's a great coach. He's won a national championship now in college football. He's gotten to the Super Bowl in the NFL. Uh, I, I think his goal now is to, to go back to the NFL, 
with, with potentially a, a really good young quarterback in Justin Herbert and a, and a Chargers team that's got a lot of good pieces in place. Uh, sure up that defense some and hopefully get back to the Super Bowl and maybe win it this time. But yeah, I, I, uh, unfortunately for us college football fans, I would be very, 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 very surprised uh, if Jim Harbaugh were back in college next year. Is there? Let me let me go to your your point there. Like, is there a villain? In college football, like, I'm going, like, I don't think there's an announcer that is controversial. I don't think there's not really a coach. You know, if Harbaugh leaves, is there a coach that people love to hate? I don't, I don't really well, I see it. I, and maybe people, I'm missing people something. Love, people love to hate Nick Saban in Alabama because yes, it was just like people, right? love to hate, people love to hate Urban Meyer in Ohio State and Urban Meyer in Florida. Because, why? Because they're successful. They won. People hated that that they were better than their program and better than their team. And, and I, I think that's what generates uh, the, the hate. And jealousy, I think, generated uh, the, the hate from all those people because the success that those other teams have. But yeah, I'm sitting here thinking right now, and I, I mean, I, I would, I mean, I would think maybe Deion Sanders might be that lightning rod too. Either either you love, he is. I'll, yeah, I'll give that player there. And but I think the way with the portal and running half your team off, like I think people, you love them or you hate them. I think that might be a guy uh, that that might in a program that 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 falls into that. But but again, I think maybe some of that is is jealousy ridden at, at, at that. Um, how much attention maybe now he's getting with a program that wasn't good and the fact that he started out really, really good and pulled some upsets. And then, of course, uh, later part of the year came and it was like all the naysayers like, eh, eh, see, ty- what did what, what, I say? Four and eight, <laughs> right. what a great year. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that would probably be the one guy, love him or hate him right now, that I, that I, that I think. I'm sure if you give me a, a little – Lane Kiffin, I think, is another guy. Uh, I, I think he's a yeah. lightning rod with how he left Tennessee, uh, his Raiders. But he hasn't he hasn't won. He he hasn't he hasn't won to that level, that national. You know what I mean? And and Kirby Smart is kind of yeah. I I think I love Kiffin. I, I Kiffin is like our dream guest. Uh, but Kirby Smart, people want to hate Dabo, but huh? Wayne would do your show. He would do it. Uh, we're, I think I think we've reached out. I don't know. I'll have to check. But Dabo Sweeney, I, I don't know. I guess people want to hate him because of his views on NAL, but he's not a hateable guy. Yeah, no, he does. Dabo's as authentic as they come. I mean, you, 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 he's not one right. of those wishy-washy guys. I like if you're authentic and genuine, and you're not lying. Like how can how can you hate that? But again, you 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 may not agree with what he's saying, so you hate him because of that. But you, you can't hate him for being authentic. But but Lane is a little like, now that I'm sitting here, like like Lane's someone who you hated him because of that. But if you if you know Lane and you listen to him, like like when he got to Ole Miss, like he really changed uh, personality wise. Like he's so when he got back in it after the uh, the, the Florida the the, uh, the FAU stuff and got back in there. Like he's a much more family oriented with, with his kids. Like he's really settled now. All yeah, he, he could have been in the mix for a couple of these jobs, and and he's going to have a really, really, really good team uh, coming back next year. Last thing before I let you go, Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Your your opinion? I think Bill O'Brien is a really good college offensive coordinator. Um, I don't get the hate. Toward, I, the hate towards him. Another hate, hate is I think 
misguided. You look at when he took over Penn State coming off with a scandal and the, the penalties that they had. He had a really good year there. He was like the perfect guy to, to ground that program and build them back up. Uh, I, I think if you look at what Bill O'Brien did at Alabama as an offensive coordinator, it was really good. But why can't he go now to Ohio State with, with a new quarterback and, and guy, running backs like Judkins and, and Henderson and the wide receivers and Kabuka that they have and put together a really good season? Like, it's a massive year in Columbus for Ryan. Like, whew, new offensive coordinator, whew. new athletic director. Bunch of transfers coming in now. Like like Ryan Day understands the stakes in 2024. Michigan won the national championship. Bill O'Brien as an offensive coordinator is fine. Like, oh, yeah, but he sucked with the Patriots this year. Dude, you were playing Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones at your quarterback. Like you did not have a chance on offense playing those guys uh, at quarterback with the weapons around that, that you didn't have a wide receiver and running back. You were a defensive-minded team. That, that wasn't on Bill O'Brien. He just he had to try and make make chicken salad out of chicken shit with with, with the players that, that the personnel department gave him and the injuries that he was dealt. And, and you were in a division with, with a couple of really good teams in Buffalo and Miami. So it's like I'm not going to hate on him because he didn't do well with the Patriots this year. I'm going to think back to what he did as an offensive coordinator with, with the Texans getting him to the playoffs. The difference between Bill O'Brien, personnel guy, head coach, an offensive coordinator is massive. I, I think he's going to do fine as coordinator there. Uh, I, I do too, and I, I I'm with you. Like I don't I don't get all the hate. I, I I didn't get any of that. If I were hey, if I were Ryan Day, I'd petition the NCAA or my school and say, look, can we just get this out of the way? Can we play Michigan first game of the year so I know my future? Thank you. Like, can we just just get it out of the way? You know what I mean, yeah, it, Bear? It, it, Dude, no kidding, man. Like, like Ryan would love that. I think Ryan would feel much better about what he has returning on his team in game number. Like, maybe giving each a game to get going, but like game two. Yeah, okay. Ohio State, Michigan, yeah, yeah. With Michigan replacing like twenty, like like however many starters it is, or at twenty people off the two deep or whatever they whatever they lose in Ohio State with what everything that they have coming back. I think Ryan would like his chances week two early in the year before all those uh, the Michigan uh, new starters get their uh, get their feet under them. Yeah, I do too, but just get this crazy. I know, hey, look, I know if we lose, I'm going to get fired. Just just, just do it now. I mean, let me, or if we win, I'm going to be a hero. Let's, let's get it out of the way. That, man. He's got, the guy's lost, what, nine games in five I years know. or whatever it is. Oh. He, he nearly beat Georgia. If, if, if Harrison didn't get a concussion oh. and they still miss a field goal uh, with an opportunity to win, played for the national championship against a great Alabama, like lost a college football playoff semifinal. Right. That's horrific. Officiating calls against Clemson probably would have won the national title that year. Like, it's amazing how how these fans like. It's like the like British English English Premier League soccer. Like, if you're not making Champions League, like like yep, sack the coach eight games in. Like like, if Ryan Day's fired, they're like 120 programs out there that would run to hire Ryan Day. It's ridiculous. Appreciate you, my friend. Thanks, man. That's good talk. That's fun. Absolutely. Love talking to you. That's be good. Thanks, you. What a great weekend. Thanks, Barrett. What a great weekend coming up. I love talking to my friend. Chris Felica is freaking awesome, and we kept him a long time. It's time for screen caps. That's right. Two great-looking men talking about really hot women. Oh, what a day. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. 
We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. He is a legend, ladies and gentlemen, in the world of media and content. Nobody does it like Joe Kinsey. Next time you're at a club, mention the name Joe Kinsey and see what it gets you. Serious business. They'll go, whoa, Joe Kinsey? That's like Dr. Jerry Buss back in the day. Wipe it all out. Clear the tables. Here he comes with his entourage of ladies. Hi, Joe Kinsey. It's time for screen caps, is it not? All right, Jolton Joe, I love the outfit today. You're looking like Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. I like the number three. I like the hat. You're looking good, Joe. How are you? Dan, it's great to be back. I thought the show was canceled last week. Nobody called to say, hey, are you going to be on the show? I thought, my God, has Dan been canceled in 2024? He has not been canceled. He is back. I'm back. Let's do a recap, Dan. First up, who we got? Oh, geez. Put some clothes on, young lady. It's Yannette Garcia. She is known as the Mexican weather girl. You know her, Dan. She's If there is a high pressure that is hitting North America, she knows about it, Dan. She... She took her uh, Mexican weather girl career, Dan, and turned it into an Instagram success. You know, you love to see media types really expand their business uh, reach, and Yannette figured out how to do it, Dan. God bless her. God bless the Mexican weather girls. Joe, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the young lady that would show up at the Super Bowl and ask questions wearing, like, no clothes or tight clothes or something? Different Mexican, Dan. Different Latina. That I forget her name, but that's a different one. You know what? Thank you for pointing her out. I need to look her up. I forget what her name is, but uh, she's about to, you know, the Super Bowl is when she shines. So I need to look her up and uh, let the fans know what's going on with her. Joe, there's a lot of good weather being posted in uh, Juarez in Mexico City and Acapulco. There's a lot of good weather, Joe. A lot of good weather. A lot of good weather. Next! Well, hello, honey. Who's this? Dan, Dan, it's Farron Corey. Uh, Your producers have become big fans of hers. Uh, She is the one that disappeared for like five years. And out of nowhere, she's like, I'm rekindling my Instagram career. I am one of the originals that built this industry. And I am going to take back what is mine. She has come out of the woodwork and probably divorced or uh, out of a long-term relationship. Now she's back. Who knows who's sliding into the DMs? All I know is, is that Farron Corey, one of the greats, she's back. Why do you feel that she's out of a relationship? Do you feel like the relationship hindered her influencer status? Well, Dan, I figure that when they become the originals, the originals that built this industry, when they disappear, it's either a kid, a divorce, or well, a marriage, and then possibly a long-term relationship where the boyfriend husband was like, nah, you know what? We make enough money. 
we don't need you in bikinis on Instagram. She probably got tired of it, Dan. She's like, I'm about to turn 30. I need out of this, this, this constrictive relationship. I'm going to let loose. I'm one of the originals. People love me. Watch me go wild. God bless her. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I don't understand this whole Instagram world of taking your clothes off in the sunset but, and making a ton of money at it. But, hey, this is what Screen Caps gives us. Or one of the things Screen Caps gives us. You know, Joe, I do want to answer a, a question that people have had. Is Screen Caps only about pictures of hot women? Absolutely not, Dan. Your producers have brought on the photos of the great food. Dan, I try to make people well-rounded. They used to read a newspaper in the morning, Dan. You used to wake up in your underwear, get the paper off the front steps, and go in and take a dump and read the paper on the toilet. Now you have a phone in your hand. You want to see what's going on in the world. I give that to people on a daily basis right there on the dump, taking a dump every morning. 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern. I do what newspapers should be doing, Dan. And I'm employed, and a lot of newspaper people aren't. Advantage me. I don't have that ink on my fingers that I used to love. I delivered papers. I, I Every morning I got the paper. I would subscribe. We used to have a morning and an afternoon paper. Honest to God. All right, this next uh, woman, I am taking this picture. I am taking a picture of this woman, Emily Elizabeth, and I am sending this bathing suit to my wife because I want my wife to wear this bathing suit right here, Joe, right there. Dan, there it is. I didn't, think, I didn't think your producers would put this one on the show today, but I was even nervous to even put this one on screen caps because, <laughs> I mean, listen, she is uh, pushing the boundaries, Dan. Uh, Emily Elizabeth, Dan, she is uh, based in New York most of the time, but she loves Turks and Caicos. I've never been. I don't know if you've ever been, but Emily Elizabeth, that is where she does her best work. It's like Michael Jordan when he would go to the garden. You know that when he showed up to the garden, Michael Jordan was going to put in a performance unbelievable. That is what Emily Elizabeth does when she gets off the private jet in Turks and Caicos. She turns up the game, or her heat, turns up the, her, her Instagram game, and this, this is what we get. She's not going to the Turks and not dumping it out. She dumped it out this week. God bless her. One of the greats. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't disagree. I mean, Turks, you know, there are some places that just, they do. They bring out the best of you. It may be a buffet. New Orleans House was a great seafood buffet here in Indianapolis. You put me in the New Orleans House, it brought out the best of me. So I get what you're saying, Joe. Sometimes it's location, location, location. And you let that lady out in Turks and Caicos, and that location, woo, doggy, that gets it going. Unleashed. Next! Unleashed. Yes. Next. What are we doing here, Joe? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, this is one. Okay, Dan, the way the Instagram algorithm works, you know the algorithm. You know how to game it. But these Instagram women, they know exactly how to game it. Right now, it's summer in Australia. Okay, Dan? Olivia Cherry, based in Australia, 
This is the content that is coming in. Zuckerberg's algorithm is now shifted to Australia. It's summer down under. Uh, Olivia Cherry popped up this week, and uh, she, I, I don't know much about her, but she's in Australia. It's summer down under. That content goes to the top of the heap on screen caps. Olivia Cherry becomes a rookie this week. She made her debut. Joe, I got to tell you, when somebody's name is Olivia Cherry or Ashley Mercedes, I don't respect them like I do the, the one girl that was just on uh, Ellison Marie or whatever her name is. Just give me the wholesome ones. I don't need stripper name girl. I don't know the I don't know the way they operate down under. I don't know if Olivia Cherry is more of a like a John Smith in the United States. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Olivia Cherry is a common name down there, Dan. Maybe the Australians need to let us know if that is a common name. I don't know, Dan. It's not. It's it's Never not. Been. Come on, Joe. You know you know better. You you know better. Uh, hey, uh, no, yeah, you know better. You you do. You know it's not a common name. Next, come on, Joe. All right, Blondie Ashlyn. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. I forget what I really found about her, but uh, I know for a fact that she works at Twin Peaks, Dan. I, I, you, I know you can believe that. Uh, and I figure if you work at Twin Peaks, you need to have a belly button ring, some sort of jewelry hanging from your belly button, you need to probably have a maybe a criminal record. I hate to say that, but I feel like at <laughs> Twin Peaks, you have a criminal record, some sort of daddy issue, something in your history that says, I need to work at Twin Peaks and I need to, uh, you know, you know, be on Instagram and, and, and be a model. But that's just me. Do you think Twin Peaks is the bridge between Hooters and Stripper? Uh, great question. Uh, I'm thinking more towards OnlyFans. Like, I feel like this, I feel like Twin Peaks is like the wrong side of town, headed towards drugs, maybe dabbling with OnlyFans, probably dabbling with OnlyFans, then drugs. Uh, Blondie Ashland, you know, it's, again, the name, Dan, when you go by Blondie Ashland, that sets off red flags, Dan. I think that, you know, there could be something going on in her uh, life here that uh, I, you don't want to take her home to mom. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, I mean, Stephen A. Smith apparently made fat shaming okay when he went after Jason Whitlock. I would just suggest were I this young lady's father, it's time to eat. You got to eat. It's time to eat. It's always time to eat in my household, Joe. Good point. Eat a burger. I just... I mean, you know, Twin Peaks got good food and cold beer. Coldest beer in town, that's what they advertise, 29 degrees. I, there's a Twin Peaks kind of to get on the highway, and I pass that sign every time I get on the highway from my house. There it is. How you Next. Next. Oh, well, great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah, looky here. I, I saw this one pop up. And I'm like, Clay Travis, he's on German, the, uh, Germany's The Voice. And then I had to take, I had a double, double take on this one, Dan. I thought it was Clay. But then I'm like, does Clay have tattoos all over his arms? I didn't think so. 
Uh, I've never seen Clay shirtless, but I didn't think he would have tats. Great one from Buck Sexton. Now I feel like I got to follow this guy and see if this guy is going to win. Uh, or is he He's a judge? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Said he's a, said he's a judge. When you first put that up, I thought that was Clay, and then I wanted to look closer to see if those tattoos were like those fake tattoos. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like you can wipe them off. But it looks to me like uh, he's a judge on Germany's The Voice. So Dan, good what gave for it away. What, what gave it away for me is I saw the Disney logo, and I'm like, they ain't hiring Clay Travis to be no judge. So that no, was no, all right, biggest question of the day. You taking the Chiefs and the points? What are you doing? Uh, I think the Lions, uh, I think the Lions as a favorite, Dan, I think that's where I'm going to go. Uh, Chiefs, what is it, two and a half? I'm looking at three right now, but it could be three. two and a half oh, by the time we get. Uh, I love it at three, Dan. Give me the Chiefs yeah. on the road, three. I, I think the Chiefs with those points is dangerous. Even if it's a one-point game, we win, Dan. That's how the, that's how it works, Joe. That's that, Thank that's you. how. What's the weekend? What's the weekend for you, Joe? What are you doing? Uh, Dan, we got a half bath powder room going in. I got to get these electricians and these plumbers <laughs> lined up. You know, I'm a working man. I've got a new job title. I'm busy. I need the tradesmen to get in here and get this bathroom done, Dan. So I got to do a little painting, by the way. But uh, but anyway, uh, that and uh, you know, kids basketball. Dan, they're 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 0-3, off to a rough start. We gotta turn things around, Dan. Starts this weekend. Yeah, play zone. Zone always kills the little kids. Play zone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. See you, Dan. All right, Joe. Thank you, my see you, buddy. That's the great Joe Kinsey. That is screen caps, ladies and gentlemen. You can catch it every day on outkick.com. All right, show my bets here, will you please? Just go ahead and just put them all up there. I'm going to go through my bets for the weekend. I'm struggling with one, and I'm going to tell you what it is. I didn't give this to you, Nick, So, but I'm going to tell you the bet I'm struggling with. My house bet is right here. The Ravens and the Texans over 43 and a half. Now, I am on a cold streak, the likes of which made me not bet the last few days. I unplugged myself, and then I plugged myself back in. But the house bet here, I'm going with this, because I think both of the quarterbacks, whether it's Lamar Jackson getting himself out of trouble on third down with his feet, making a big play, a 20 to 30 or more yard play, or it's C.J. Stroud finding Nico Collins, I think both of these teams score in the 20s, and I think 43 and a half is too low. That's my house bet. Now, here's what Belichick would do. WWBBD. What would Bill Belichick do? He would first and foremost take away Nico Collins. So here's what you're going to see. If, if this game is going to go under, then you're going to see the Ravens under Jim or John Harbaugh Double-team Nico Collins, guy over the top, all that stuff, and put him in a position where he is not the guy that beats you. A lot of guys may beat you. Other guys may beat you. Hell, sometimes there's not a damn thing you can do about Lamar Jackson out of the pocket running. But that guy, Nico Collins, he ain't beating us. That's what Belichick would do. How would he do it? He would take his second-best corner, play man-to-man, and double-team with his safety. 
then he would take his best corner and eliminate the second receiver for the Texans. That's what he did here for years. That's what he did with Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne never had good games against Belichick because he put his number one on him, eliminated him, and double-teamed Marvin Harrison. It was something the Colts had to finally somehow maybe figure out. But that's what I'm telling you. I love the over, but if Nico Collins can't get going, that over is gone because that, ladies and gentlemen, is how big Nico Collins is to that team Period. And it ain't even close. I mean, that dude is a difference-making machine, Nico Collins. All right. What's my next bet as I try to get this thing out of my ear? I'm taking it. I'm doing it. I'm sorry. I know it. I know you guys don't want it. I understand. But I got to take it. I got to roll with the Chiefs. There's no way in hell I can sit there with the Chiefs getting points in the playoffs and not involve myself in the action. Now, you can say, Dan, you can involve yourself in the action, but you don't have to take the Chiefs. You're telling me I'm going to sit there and I'm going to suffer through, I'm going to suffer through Patrick Mahomes with the football time after time after time to get a backdoor cover to win the game. I ain't doing it. It's not who I am. It's not who I'm going to be. It's not who I shall be. No chance. Not a single chance in hell am I doing that. That, to me, is pain. That, to me, is torturous. That, to me, will never happen. So I'm going to take it. Urban Meyer in the points is like undefeated. Saban in the points is like 80%, whatever you want to do. This one here, not quite at that level, but damn close. What's next? I'm taking Tampa Bay. I'm riding or dying. I'm riding or dying with Baker Mayfield. I am. I'm riding or dying, period. That's what I'm doing. I'm sorry. I wish I wasn't, but I am. Baker Mayfield has proven himself to me that he will go win games, and there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it with this particular team. For whatever the reason, this particular outfit with Todd Bowles and Baker Mayfield seems like an absolute great fit. Not kind of, sort of a great fit, an absolute great fit. They seem to gel. There's something about this team, even though they did not play well. Michael Evans is dropping balls. Are you kidding me? Like, Evans a Hall of Fame guy. He should never drop a pass, ever. But he did. The tight end, dropping passes, then the tight end showed sack and came back. I don't really know what to do in these other games. My inclination is that I am going to take Houston, and I am going to take nine and a half, probably move it to ten. I don't feel I, I don't feel like betting against either of these teams. Like I don't feel like betting against either of these quarterbacks. I don't feel like betting and saying, "Hey, I'm going to take C.J. Stroud uh, over Lamar Jackson." But then I'm going to struggle with watching Lamar Jackson get out of every third down play that there is. I just don't feel like doing it. I don't. It seems like a miserable way to go through life. And we don't want to be miserable going through life. Period. I don't know what to do about Green Bay. It feels like this entire year, until Brock Purdy started throwing the ball to the other team, But it feels like this entire year, San Francisco's been the best team. 
Now, are you going to bet the all-time, all-year best team? Are you going to bet the up-and-coming best team? Gun to head? I would take Green Bay, and I would take the 10 points. Again, I would move it to 10. I need that next score. The next score would be a three-score game to beat me. Two-score if you're talking touchdown, but you get my point. Look, the bottom line is simply this. I love these quarterbacks. I like all eight of them. I do. And again, you guys know this as well as I. There's a reason all eight are still in there is because they're all damn good. They are. They're really, really good. So anyway, that's how I'm looking at. But the bet that I'm struggling with, the bet that I'm having a hard time, honest to God, I give this to you every single time, and it drives me nuts. So I am going to officially bet against Indiana men's basketball. Indiana, we, I'm going to say we because I was there for enough early, early morning practices that I get the honor of saying we. We, ladies and gentlemen, are 11.5-point underdogs at Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin's okay. I just watched them lose to uh, Penn State. They're okay. But Indiana never wins at Wisconsin. I mean, never wins at Wisconsin. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. When's the last time Indiana University men's basketball won in the Kohl Center? Telling you. It's Indiana like, was crushed by Purdue. Oh, they were crushed by Purdue. That doesn't do me any good. So I don't really care about the past. I don't. But I'm going to take Wisconsin, and I'm going to give the 11 and a half. I'm going to give it because, frankly, I'm 11 when you take Indiana or you take Indiana against Purdue, and it's a 12-point spread. That 12 points goes so damn fast, it's unbelievable. Like It gets to 10 or 12, and it's like, what? It doesn't even seem like there's a spread. It doesn't. But anyway, long story short, I say Indiana, give them the 12, give, give, Wisconsin, or give, give Indiana the 12, take frickin' Wisconsin, and your toes are tapping. I'm just saying. I hate to say it. Uh, last bet that I am going to make, I'm just going to do it because what the hell else I got to do uh, I think I'm going to take the over 45 and a half. I know what Bear said. Bear saying take the under 45 and a half, Kansas City and Buffalo. I'm either not going to bet this or I am going to take the over. I'm not going to sit there and, and bet against, in, uh, bet unders in this, bet stops in this. That'll make it crazy. By the way, last time Indiana beat Wisconsin in the Kohl Center. 19 consecutive losses, January 25th, 1998. It was the second ever game played in the Kohl Center. How about that? That ain't great. I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. We did a lot of talking. Thank you for your support as we battle through. We're going to be back, as Greenberg says, and better than ever come Monday, and it, it looks like it's going to be a fantastic, fantastic sports weekend. So get whatever it is you got to get done, go wherever it is you got to go, get the crap done, and then get ready to rock and roll and have a great weekend. Football starts in the afternoon, college basketball starts early, you'll be done watching sports, I don't know, at two in the morning, it'll be fantastic. 
and then you get to do it again Sunday, and then you get to meet us back here on Monday. Uh, Nick, we had a Nick on vacation. We got Met fan Nick here. Sad that I made fun of the Nick Knicks earlier. Aaron, thank you. Gary, thank you. Brooke, thank you. Morgan, thank you. Beth, thank you. If you got a name, thank you. Everybody, thank you for hanging out with us and have a fantastic weekend, everybody.